Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Thursday night. That means it is, one, almost weekend, and two, it's got a double meaning because there's a Grand Prix this weekend. Number three, it's even better because it's one of the classics. It's Italy. It's Monza. It's one of the races that we get really excited for. Anyways, Mark Squared here again tonight. Uh, I guess the square root of Mark Squared would be one Mark, but there's two of us, so I'm rambling. Anyways, we also have a very special guest joining us tonight, Mr. Ben Vincenzo Landino, Vincenzo, welcome to the show, or should I say Benvenuto, welcome, so good to have you here tonight. Well done, well done, I like it, glad to be here. Well, that's awesome, so happy to have you, and, and Mark, you're looking very happy tonight, uh, I, I don't know, I'm getting good, I, like I say, I'm having good weekend vibes, we're having a little bit of fun, I think everybody's in a good mood tonight because NFL season kicked off, so unless you're a Cowboys fan, it was uh, it was a good evening, but uh, Tampa Bay, the ageless Tom Brady, nonetheless. How old is he now? 74, 78? I can't believe this guy's played, what, about like 93 seasons in the NFL. I mean, it's kind of like the, I guess, one of those markers that summer's over and fall is here, but it's always a good weekend. But Tom Brady never changes. I know, right? Isn't that the weird thing? I mean, it doesn't look <laughs> Do, but different Tom now. Brady <laughs> Anyways, as much as I'd love to sit here and talk football, that's what, not, what what we're not here to do. We're here to obviously talk about football, or sorry, <laughs> not football, Formula One. See, <laughs> I told you guys before we started this was going to be a rough show because I've been so busy at work this week. But I'm going to be I'm going to be leaning on both of you. But uh, Vincenzo, you bring a really unique uh, point of view, and you have a really unique uh, sort of skill set and experience, and uh, we'll um, we'll, we'll dive into all of that. But uh, first of all, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself uh, to the listeners? And um, well, obviously, we, we had to have um, there, there's obviously no hiding your allegiance, uh, because uh, for those of you that are watching the live stream will notice that he has a, a Ferrari polo shirt on. So I'm just giving that for the benefit of the listeners on, on the podcast. But uh, introduce yourself and please to you know, tell everybody what it is and, and what you do. Yeah, uh, Vincenzo Landino. I'm here in the states. Uh, recently, just moved down to to Florida, and I am. Um, I, I have a couple of businesses. One of them being a, a media production company. We focus on video production. We handle a lot of uh, video, digital commercials, digital ad work for uh, some pretty large multinationals. Um, that's the day job. That that's kind of like what I do all the time. Also, my wife and I. Um, we invest in creators. We, uh, she's a creator herself. She's been on YouTube for a very long time. She's parlayed that into a career in speaking, um, writing. She's an author and uh, coaching. So we've kind of taken that and started to invest in creators, you know, at an earlier stage. And so that's our next little venture. But my, I, I, want, I don't even want to call it a pet project because it's really not a pet project. It's something that's really important to me. Uh, something I've been working on uh, lately a lot of is called the qualifier and it's uh, really the business behind sports. And I, I like to focus on uh, Formula One. 
soccer, international soccer, European soccer. I, I, I'm a European, I'm an Italian soccer fan, but I, I do enjoy all of European soccer. Um, and so I'm focusing more into like the business and the stats and the numbers behind a lot of the stuff, um, as opposed to just the product on the field, because as we all know, there's way more to, uh, all the sports than just the product on the field. So I, I've been diving into that and that's something I'm ramping up and I hope to ramp up over the next uh, few months. And this is perfect timing because I love talking about this and I love you guys. And so I'm here, I'm ready to be here. <laughs> that's awesome. May I ask uh, whereabouts uh, you are from in Italy and where your allegiances lie when it comes to club football? So yeah, oddly enough, I am a Roma fan. Um, I, I don't know why I became a Roma fan. I should be a Napoli fan. My family, my father, my parents are born in Southern Italy, uh, in a town, in an area called Caserta. My father's in Gioia Sanitica. My mother, Faiki Benevento, they're neighboring towns. Benevento actually had a Serie A, the top flight Italian football club last season. They got relegated. Um, but Napoli should be the team that I follow. And for some reason, I've always followed Roma. It is what it is. I still stay, I still go that way. But as I've gotten older, much like with Formula One, um, I, I've enjoyed more of the sport as mm -hmm. a whole in general. And I want to see success of the league, the leagues, mm -hmm. um, and the athletes and the, and the teams as opposed to just blindly being allegiant to you know, Roma or Ferrari, uh, even though I still enjoy the brand and the brands. Um, I just, there's something about the inner workings as I've gotten older that I, I, I appreciate more and more. Yeah, that's certainly something I can identify with because, you know, I covered Major League Soccer and specifically the the, the Vancouver Whitecaps here lo uh, locally for, for many, many years. And when you start to get behind the scenes and it's a, you, you get to, you know, see how everything kind of works together, it becomes a much more, you know, interesting picture. You know, it, it's more than what happens on the field or on the track. So I, I completely understand that. That's uh, really fascinating. So, yeah, we really look forward to um, to, to getting into this. And, and you just got back from Italy. You were there during the uh, the Euro 2020. Was it 2020 or 2021 final? What with COVID and everything? I've got my yep. scarf back there. My uh, Campione de Europa scarf back there. I don't have... Well, I've got that back there. I've got some other stuff probably in the closet. We just moved, literally just moved. So a lot of my stuff is not out of boxes or, or <laughs> luggage yet. Um, but yeah, I was there for for a little over a month. And we were there for the final, the Euro final. And we paraded through Rome with the rest of what felt like the rest of Italy. Uh, COVID apparently didn't seem to be a factor at that point <laughs> to anybody because the Italians won the Euro uh, championship. And so we were able to celebrate that and, and watch that there in Italy, which was an absolutely incredible experience. Fandom in Italy, which I know we'll talk about a little bit more later on in terms of F1, but fandom in Italy goes like next level. You know, mm -hmm. when, when they say Italians, we are passionate people, it, it's in everything, whether it's food, whether it's cars whether it's their their uh fandom it it they go all in right you you're not just a fan you are rabid diehard passionate it it comes through your pores um <laughs> and and you feel that so uh yeah that was an incredible experience it was a month of just eating pasta every day <laughs> now, the last time when i was in italy i didn't eat pasta this time i said i'm gonna have pasta every day I'm going to do exactly what my cousin there, he's like, you got to eat pasta every day. I said, fine, I'm going to do it. Forget it. I don't even <laughs> care what happens. I'm just going to do it. And you made that a was really it. great point a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> and you talked about, I think sometimes in, in Europe, I, I think sometimes 
your your club identity and the club that you support is sometimes in your DNA. It's inherited from your family and your community mm-hmm. and things like that. And I, I'm really excited to talk about talk about Formula One in that context as well, especially as it pertains to Italy, as you suggested a couple of minutes ago. Sure. We'll get to that. But I'm very curious in your case, obviously you have some really strong connections to Italy, but when did Formula One capture your imagination? How did you get brought into this ecosystem and when did it start to excite you? Was it something that was kind of always there or is it something that's kind of blossomed as a passion more recently? So ironically enough, my father was not a Formula One fan by, you know, at all. Um, not a motorsport fan, should I say? He'll he'll watch it if I'm watching it type thing, but not like okay, let's go to the racetrack. We went to we did go to racetracks all the time. So we grew up in Connecticut, Lime Rock Park, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, we would go there all the time to watch all sorts of different, you know, GT yeah. races and you know Porsche Day, Ferrari Day, Lamborghini Day. They do, you know, they we went always went up for those. Um, and I think my dad did it probably because he realized that I really enjoyed it. I love every time we went go karting and karting, I was I'd take it to the next level. It wasn't just like, let's leisurely roll around the track. I'm like trying to race <laughs> everybody, you know. Um, but my uncle, I had an uncle, I have an uncle who Formula One was his like number one. It was it was Calcio and Formula One, probably Formula One above above soccer. And we used to watch races together. Anytime I wasn't with my parents and I was, um, um, you know, my uncle might have been watching us for a weekend or, or and, and which was regularly, right? In an Italian family, like your uncles are like your second parent. It's, it, it's, it's not abnormal to be around your uncles and your aunts regularly. And he always was watching Formula One. So if I think way back, like I remember the, like the center race in San Marino. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember races, like I remember watching races back at, at that point. And then probably at, in high school, that age range, I kind of dropped off just for whatever reason. Um, and then picked it back up after, after college. Um, but yeah, it goes back. So what? 93, 94. Like I, I remember avidly watching races on TV with my uncle's. Uh, my brother and 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 just falling in love with these cars going really fast around a track, and sometimes crazy things happen. But it was just like the sound of of the engines, the you know, the roar of the crowd. It was just different than you know watching a soccer match or a football game, um, where you. And I know this is probably not the greatest thing to say, but like, there's not as much risk. And I know something about the risk, the adrenaline that goes into like driving a car, at, you know, 300 kilometers an hour, that is just way different than running down the pitch with a, a soccer ball at your feet. And I've played soccer, right? My whole life. So I know what that feels like. There's something about Formula One driving that fast. Kurt, it's not, and again, I, <laughs> it's not, I don't, I don't want to offend NASCAR fans, but it's, it's more than just like round around a circle it is it is driving it is driving a car at its absolute limit like there's something about pushing it to the limit that that got me and um and i think probably over the last 10 years or so i've really started to appreciate it a lot more um and again like i was talking about before this 
I've appreciated more of the sport rather than like just mm-hmm. Ferrari. Yes, I still love Ferrari, but I love Ferrari as a brand. And that's something that was instilled in me since I was young. Like Ferrari meant luxury. Ferrari meant speed. Ferrari means passion. Ferrari means Italian. Like yeah. those are, that's what Ferrari means to me. It's not, okay, Scuderia Ferrari. And that's the team I follow. It, it is, but it's also so much more, right? There's mm-hmm. so much more that goes into it. And so, um, yeah. I, anyway, I can, I can probably keep talking about that, but <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because there's a couple of things that you said to Vincenzo that really sort of resonated with me. I mean, um, you know, I come from a, a Dutch family on my mom's side, and I lived in Holland for a number of years in my twenties, and you know, I've got lots of aunts and uncles. I mean, big family over there, and uh, you know, we come from a Catholic family, and yep. you know, typically there's <laughs> lots of you know, lots of kids, right, and lots of yep. aunts and uncles. And I specifically remember years ago uh, at my one of my cousin's house, and this is when we were all like, uh, I was in my early 20s, and she's like the oldest cousin. She was like the first one to get married and, and everything. So she was kind of like the, you know, sort of the, the, you know, I, the, the, the one that was kind of like way ahead the, the, of the rest of us. And I specifically remember a family gathering at their place, and we were, they wheeled the TV out onto the, just to, into the patio so we could watch a, a Grand Prix. I can't remember which race it was, but I remember sitting there with a bunch of my cousins. I remember sitting there with my uncles and, uh, and, and, and her husband and her, his family. We're all sitting there, all the guys sitting there watching this race. And then my cousin, she came out and she took like one look at it, the, the screen. She just shook her head and she said, I don't understand what you guys so fi- find so fascinating about this. This is the dumbest sport ever because it's just a bunch of cars going around in circle circles and just the like the appalled silence that we all just kind of like looked at her <laughs> and then it was just like, like there was like we, we didn't know what to say. It's just like I think somebody just said well obviously you don't understand Formula One and <laughs> she said something to the effect of no and I don't really care either. <laughs> well and that's the thing right there's there's you either get it and love it or you don't get it you yeah. hate it and it there's nothing you can do to explain it um which and i, I want to probably bring this up again later on as we talk about uh generation dts but i think that's things are changing i do mm-hmm. Yeah, what what a teaser that is because i mean that's been an absolute uh, game changer because it, it, it's funny that you know i have people that i know like both not not just family but uh, friends that that um, you know have had no connection or no interest mm-hmm. in Formula One. That uh, nowadays, well, on on a race day, will be texting me or yes. they'll be like, or even just uh, texting me, say, "Oh, I I started watching uh, DTS and this is like so <laughs> amazing. I'm going to watch my first race." Or yep. it's it's just a, it's a really really fascinating phenomena the way that uh, it's it's really you know pe- you know taken off the way that it has. I mean, I don't know if it was intentional, but I mean the way that. Uh, I mean, the series and the production obviously, you know, speaks for itself, but the, the, the sort of the, the organic growth and interest that it's achieved on its own is really quite phenomenal. I I think the drive to survive is the, it's, I'm going to say the pinnacle. I don't know if that's the right word, but I feel like it is the pinnacle of content if we want to talk about content right now, like um, creation brand, the way a brand, when, you know, if I am talking to one of my clients, I'm pitching them something like drive to survive every time mm. I've been, you know, and I'll, I'm going to brag on myself a little bit, but we've been pitching episodic series to our clients for a long time, especially online. 
right? Where you can control the narrative, where you can give people a glimpse at something that they otherwise wouldn't. And it doesn't have to be all about your brand. It can be about your customers. It can be about your employees. It can be about, it can be about your competitors. It can be about anything and everything in your industry. And when Drive to Survive came out, I'm like, wow, somebody gets this. They understand what they're doing from, from the outset. I mean, it was very apparent what what's going on with you know with that series and it is the perfect blend of reality tv a little bit of a little bit of massaged storylines right Mm -hmm. um incredible incredible story the way they weave the story incredible um and just enough real life real life um, cause I still, I'm thinking back now at season one and I'm thinking how much did I, if I'm a newbie, did I actually remember, like, do I know who won the season at the end of it? I can't remember. I, I genuinely can't remember right now. Um, do they leave you with like Lewis Hamilton won the championship? I don't think they do. Right. Well, it's really interesting because they, they, they don't, the, the, the timeline, the way that they tell the stories, it's kind of generally follows the like the course of the season, but it, it kind of jumps around and kind of ultimately goes that way towards the the, the end. But I mean, the, the way that they kind of, they, they jump around like that and then still kind of keep that narrative flowing and still kind of keep it loosely in chronological order, I think is really, yeah. really very, very clever the way that they've done it. They jump around. They focus. I feel, I feel like they focus more on on drivers and dr- driver storylines between drivers, team drama, and then so it's almost like you have to watch each episode. Kind of like The Walking Dead used to do this. They'd start mm-hmm. their like episode one would everybody would be together. They'd have a timeline. You'd have a g- generic sense of like where they are in the timeline. But then the next episode, like episode two, would focus on one character. And it would have the same timeline. It would have, you know, a timeline. Then episode three would focus on another character, but it would be running congruent to, mm-hmm. or concurrent, sorry, to the previous character. And they would do that until like, I don't know, they got to the end of the season where suddenly they're all back together. And I like that worked really, works really well with Formula One because you have so many individual storylines amongst teams, against amongst drivers and kind of the sport itself that really are independent of like we were talking about before it, it it's off the field product, right? Off the track product. Um, and there's so much more going on that it really allows them to do that in a way that keeps people hooked. I mean, my wife wanted nothing to do with formula one. We've been together over six, seven years and nothing. I wanted nothing to do with formula one. I could never get her to sit for a race. Nothing. Now she's texting me, you know, she was in Ohio. I had already moved down here and she's like, what time is the race on? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I can watch it, right? Can I use your F1 TV thing? I was like, oh, you could just use ESPN or whatever, you know, if you don't want to log in, you know, and she's like, okay. Right. And like, then comes back and like actually talks about it. Did you see Lando? Did you, she likes McLaren. She fell in love with Ricardo because I of, love it. of, of Drive to Survive. <laughs> I love it. You know, he, like she literally fell in love with Ricardo and I'm just like, whatever. Okay. Fine. As long as you like, you like, you enjoy the sport. I'm happy. But they did a really good job. There's so many people regularly. Like if you if you are not on Twitter, you know, jump on Twitter and just search for F1, and you'll see people talking about it 
I can't believe I even I slept out. I was sleeping on this sport. I can't believe I I never wanted to watch this. Now all of a sudden I'm setting alarms. I'm waking up the kids. We're all watching it together, and I'm just like, okay, cool. Yep. I know, Mark, I know we've got to jump to a break, but I just want to read a couple of excerpts from a really great article that came out in The Atlantic a couple of days ago by Amanda Mole. And and I read, and I quote here, in Drive to Survive, Formula One has found a way to convert Americans to a sport they have traditionally ignored. In the process, it may have hit on something even more valuable, something every American sports league is desperately seeking, a recipe for building and sustaining interest at a time when sports facing all manner of new competition are losing their grip on the nation's psyche. So it speaks exactly to what you're saying, which is through Drive to Survive. And that's really what this whole article is about is it's untapped in interest in a sport that America didn't necessarily know it had. But Mark, maybe we leave it at that and we can kind of pick up after the uh, pick up after the break. Yeah, that's a perfect uh, point to park it. So uh, guys, just as Mark said, uh, we're going to jump to a quick break. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, welcome back to the show. And well, you know, I, I think that uh, maybe I can start handing over some of the hosting duties there. You know, Mark, I was just, uh, I'm at a little bit of a loss. But uh, anyway, so joking aside, <laughs> you know, there was a couple of things that uh, that uh, both of you had mentioned just uh, before the break there that I just wanted to touch on. Um, well, one thing that uh, Vincenzo uh, was just t- talking about, like the, the the way that the story flows. I mean, just to the, the way that the, appreci- the, uh, the appreciation that I have goes back to basically to right from the very beginning when they didn't have the involvement of Mercedes. They didn't have the involvement of uh, Ferrari and all those drivers, yet that season one did not lack for anything. I mean, of course, it's a little bit different when you have to splice in archival news conference footage of Sebastian Vettel or Lewis Hamilton or any one of those uh, drivers or you know team principals or whatever, but it didn't lack for anything. And I thought that was uh, extraordinary. And then, of course, once they saw the benefit of being involved, seasons two and three just evolved from there. And I can't help uh, but wonder if and when that uh, Max Verstappen will get involved. But, you know, being Dutch myself and knowing how stubborn Dutch people can be, that um, they're there might be a long, long time before there is a, a softening of his heart to join the series. Uh, you know, I, I guess obviously he has uh, some issues with the way that uh, some of the storylines are portrayed and stuff like that. And I mean, they have to have a bit of artistic license, uh, let, let, let's face it. And then there was another point uh, I wanted to make, and I've completely forgotten about it now, but it will come back. Uh, like I said earlier, it's been a brutally hard but short week, and uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep going. But uh, Vincenzo, one of 
the things we wanted to talk about was the um, the Liberty Media takeover of uh, Formula One, and then uh, them bringing the, the sport into the new era because there's one thing that's really stood out in my mind for years and this is going back pre-liberty takeover and i just remember hearing bernie ecclestone i think he might have been interviewed on the bbc it was definitely was a european show it might have been the checkered flag podcast or something similar but he said at the time and it was all because uh, there, there was a bit of um I wouldn't say controversy, but there was a definitely a lot of discussion at the time about how drivers or they, they nobody could take moving pictures or videos or anything like that uh, and and post it to social media. And there was a lot of commentary at the time about how Formula One has to get into the modern age and in you know embrace and go after younger you know technica- or technologically savvy audience. And Bernie basically said, well, you know, he wasn't really interested in that demo. He you know he was more interested in the demographic of guy that's seventy years old and already has a pile of money. And I just mm-hmm. couldn't help but thinking, and I'm paraphrasing and parsing here of course but i thought at the time that is just such uh, you know an arrogant comment to make because i mean just by you know focusing on that one very narrow demographic of a, a guy that may be a, you know, a fan for another 10 15 years tops you know and he's completely ignoring this young generation liberty comes in you know, we see this expanded presence of the drivers and the teams on uh, on social media, and we see things like Drive to Survive, and just the way that you know th- that you know they're they're not just pictures in a glossy magazine. Now that, uh, that you know you see them and you get to appreciate the personalities, and I think it's just added a whole layer and a whole new dimension to the the appreciation and the enjoyment that I have of the sport because now it's not just um, a guy I see behind the steering wheel of a Formula One car. Mark, I just want to add as well, because I think it's useful context. I kind of look at Formula One now as two eras. There's kind of the before Liberty era, Formula One BL. And then there's kind of Formula (laughs) One after Liberty, like Formula One AL. And to back it up, like Liberty hasn't been in control of this entertainment property for that long. Negotiations really picked up steam in late 2016. Liberty was up against Stephen Ross and the Qatari government. Ultimately, they came to an agreement with Formula One. They closed in early 2017. And then they suddenly have this property. And like you said, the property was in so many ways. Ways, saddled with so many of the bad decisions that Bernie had made. And I will give Bernie all the credit in the world for building Formula from Formula One up really from, from nothing. Like mm-hmm. I think we look back and we always assume it was this big financial monster that was just raking in revenues. That wasn't always the case. Bernie, Bernie hit the lottery with his decisions and his strategy around TV revenue and, and raking in national TV deals and, and all those kind of pieces. But he really kind of lost his footing in the last couple of years there because to your point, he was not only unrelenting in his attacks on social media, he refused to recognize that demo as valid or important to Formula One at all. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we've all heard the stories about the fact that he used to have the Formula One front office send cease and desist letters to Lewis Hamilton, his his top most transcendent star for posting on social media because his perspective was Formula One lives behind an iron paywall. And if you want access, you pay for it. And if you can't pay for it, you're not getting access. So he was thinking very short term, like we're appealing to our existing demo that's locked in, they're 50, 60, they're financially stable. And and Liberty's taken this very different approach, which is let's smash down that paywall. Let's make it accessible to everybody. Let's make it available to everybody. And let's embrace social media. And social media is a long-term play in the sense that, hey, 
you're cultivating your future fan base by appealing to those 18, 20, 22 year olds. But Vincenzo, this is really why we want to talk to you because this is so much of what your passion is. From your perspective, since Liberty's come in early 2017, what are some of the the great things that they've done to transform this entertainment property for American audiences? I think the biggest thing and the one I want to focus on is is allowing the drivers to have personality. Um, And I think this is what social media has done across the board, not just for Formula One. If you look at Formula One, it's very much a luxury. It's like a luxury good. It's like walking down the store and seeing Christian Dior versus Gap, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with Gap. There's nothing wrong with Christian Dior. One is significantly more expensive. One has a just a total aura about it, right? I'm using Dior, Vuitton, I don't care, whoever, whatever brand you want to use. Lots of Italian brands you're mentioning. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) I can change it up for you. Burberry, Um, Burberry, make it Burberry. Burberry. Speak speak to me, speak to me. One is Burberry, all right? One is, (laughs) I think the old way of luxury brands marketing themselves was to, like Bernie, remain exclusive, um, one of my lights went off. Um, remain exclusive, be behind a paywall. Only if you were 50, 60, yada, 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 you could um, access this. You could afford it. As social media democratized what these brands mean, and you started seeing you know, collaborations between brands online brands needed to become human needed to humanize themselves to some extent because online their consumers were not just 56 years old their consumers were 18 28 38 all across you know the spectrum of ages and so now how do you speak to those people the brands that did a good job were able to meet their audience where they're at the brands that didn't were the ones that said, we're going to, you know, keep going at it this, you know, in this direction. And it sometimes didn't work. What Liberty did was essentially the same thing. They said, we are going to break down these barriers, like you guys mentioned, and we are, we want as much access as possible. The more access, the more people t- talking about something, it's only, it's, it's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Now, listen, are eighteen year or are thirteen year olds spending the money on I don't know F one TV? No, but their parents are. Their mm-hmm. parents are the ones, that are, you know, like so. It's an indirect way of acquiring a viewer or acquiring a fan. Um, I can afford this stuff, but like a thirteen year old can't. They're going to ask their mom and dad. They're going to. So there's nothing. So it, that's okay, right? Like just because they're not sixty and they don't have wads of cash in their pocket. What is the 60-year-old with wads of cash, what is that going to do for you? How is that going to necessarily, they're not going to talk about your brand because you know what, one one thing people don't do when they're at a certain you know, level of status, they probably aren't talking about it. So it kind of stops there with them, right? Mm-hmm. And they only may talk about it within their circles, but like it, where does it grow from there? Well, now you've got this whole group of people I'm going to call them Generation DTS because I know that your audience knows that. Um, (laughs) They're constantly talking about it. You can go online now and you will have people of all ages, all sorts of diverse backgrounds, races, 
everything that are talking F1. It has become this, it, it's not even a sig. It, it, it doesn't even signal like an exclusive club. It's like, hey, come join us. Come join this cool community. Like this is mm -hmm. a really cool sport. There's a big difference, right? Luxury exclusivity is very much a way to acquire people, but you're only going to acquire a certain amount. There's only a certain amount of growth there. It stops. You have to wait until people join that club to get back into it, right? Mm -hmm. If you're meeting your audience where they're at, you're doing what Liberty's doing now, and they are saying, hey, this is an awesome community. Come join it. Let's all have fun together, and let's keep talking. Let's grow this thing. Um, here's the other thing the teams are doing good and i'll run i ran I, I looked up some of the numbers on on the popular f1 teams mercedes is has the highest uh followers across the board 23 million red bull 21 million ferrari 15 and a half million mclaren 15 million the rest of the teams combined the six other teams have 25 million a lot of work to do but if you look at it mercedes success will always uh, garner attention Red Bull. Red Bull has an amazing community on and off, you know, the, the track. So yes, they're going to grow just because they're Red Bull and they do a lot of cool stuff. Like, have, mm -hmm. did you guys see the video they just did Max Verstappen driving through Palermo, Sicily and all that? Like, that's really cool, right? It, the content yep. they put out, Red Bull, absolutely amazing. Yep. Ferrari. Ferrari is a brand. Ferrari is a brand that's been around for a long time. Ferrari's got a lot. McLaren. I give McLaren a lot of credit because McLaren not only has had a long history in Formula One, McLaren has a, uh, they also are, they actually make cars so uh, people know their cars. But I also give their approach to social media and, and gaming and esports with Lando a huge leg up. So that's where they're building their community. They also lead kind of all the other teams in uh, TikTok. They've got uh, 1.2 million followers on TikTok. The next closest is Red Bull with 1 million. Ferrari doesn't even have one that I could find. Um, Mercedes has 513,000, right? So TikTok is, is creating this whole new viewer that's following them over there. And they, cre and they create really cool stuff that's funny. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, educational sometimes. Like they did a whole thing on how to set up a, uh, a pit stop, like the pit lane. And they literally broke it down in a TikTok. And I'm like, wow, this is actually mesmerizing it i never even realized it um so doing that kind of like that's backstage access when tell me the two of you answer this when was when before 2017 did you like unless you knew this like you were working in a pit lane how did, did you ever know how they set things up like did you ever see that behind the scenes look ever anywhere no no so not really is, no I just want to add, because you just made a really great point that just struck me, that prior to 2017, it was assumed you knew these things because right. it was assumed that you were part of this old guard of Formula One fan. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't know, you didn't dare ask. But I think that point about McLaren posting a tick, was it, I can't remember if it was McLaren or Mercedes. I think it was McLaren, it was right? It was McLaren, yeah. But yeah, they posted that TikTok explaining how one of the functions of the sports operates. That would mm -hmm. be like an NFL team today saying, hey mm -hmm. guys, here's how a kickoff works. And here's the function it serves. Mm -hmm. You would never see that because we're not working to embrace a new audience because everyone knows right. how football works. But I, I love and I respect the well, fact- 
assume that, that everyone knows how it works. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But right. I love the fact that these teams are acknowledging we've got this influx of new fans and we want to embrace them and we want to, to your point, welcome them into the community. And we're going to do things like this to help them feel more a part of that community and and make the sport more accessible. So when we talk about accessibility, it's not just putting the races somewhere that people can watch them. It's making the rules and the regulations. And to your point, the sure. drivers accessible. Like you talked about the personality of the drivers. Like that's something that Drive to Survive did so well, which is unlock the personalities. And as did social media, which is something to your point, we never saw before Liberty. Like all we would know is maybe a comment in the media. And again, the media was always tightly mm-hmm. controlled by Bernie and F one because none of the no one who was credentialed wanted to lose access so they were very careful with what they printed and then what we would see in the media pen after the race that's about all we knew and then maybe something would get splashed in the tabloids but i've been watching daniel ricardo since he entered the sports i know 10 times more about him now after drive to survive came out in 19 than i did before i didn't like him and now i love him (laughs) you know and and i want to I just want to, I have a couple other numbers that I thought were actually really interesting. We can take this any, any direction. I also feel the same way about Ricardo, by the way. And, and, and Ricardo ended up doing a bunch of podcasts. I know he did the armchair expert with Dak right. Shepard. Yep. Um, my wife loved that episode. Like I, I had people texting me about that episode, like, holy cow, this guy drives an F1. Like I had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, what? I mean, the thing was, I, I didn't know much about the guy, you know, right. but you did. Now you do. Um, in China, F1 has communities on Weibo, WeChat, Tutino. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these correctly, and, and Doyen. They are up 133% in those communities. They've grown communities wow. of F1 to almost 2 million. 2 million. China has billion pe- what, 2 billion people in it? Um, so there's a lot of growth opportunities, but they're focusing on building communities on, mm-hmm. the, you know, on these platforms. Uh, the Social media views are up over f- almost 50% to 5 billion 4.97 something like that wow. but they're also they're also diving into podcasts as well their podcast beyond the grid they've got over 14 million listens on that podcast focused in the US UK Australia and Canada mm-hmm. you wouldn't i wouldn't say the US and Canada are you know big strong i mean aside from Montreal but like aren't huge strongholds for formula 1 but that's where a lot of their listens are coming from so Looking at those and seeing where their year-over-year growth, like audience growth is, China, 43%. The Netherlands, 28%. Russia, 71%. There's reasons for those, right? Mm-hmm. Like China, if they're focusing there and building community, that could help a lot. Um, maybe we might have a Formula One, you know, a Chinese Formula One driver. Like that would be pretty cool. Um, Russia has a, there's a driver there's a lot of things there but being able to follow a person a driver more than just on the track is i, I think that's how they're going to win and they are winning i mean that they are they are clearly winning anyone that's paying attention can see that there's a lot of buzz about f1 in every circle it doesn't matter who you're talking to i can bring up f1 now and people are talking about it. i'm seeing f1 shirts at the gym people are wearing like yeah. Formula One shirts walking down the street. I've seen caps and I'm like, wow, I never saw that before, like ever. Um, that to me is a signal without even having to really, really dive into numbers. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of really good points that you made to Vincenzo. I just want to take a quick break here and then we'll come back and talk about it. And before we do, I should just, uh, I just want to ma- mention that it's breaking news. Bernie Ecclestone is going to make a bid to rebuy back Formula One. And as part of the deal, he's going to let the drivers run their own MySpace account so they can still connect <laughs> with their fans. So anyways, I am being silly. Uh, anyhow, time for a quick break, uh, break and Bernie is not buying back the sport. Uh, and we'll talk about that and more on the flip side. So please don't go go away. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Okay, welcome back to the show and the My Spaceless trio of Mark, Mark, and Vincenzo Landino. And there was a couple of things that uh, I wanted to to talk about. Uh, we were talking uh, earlier about some of the, the the branding, the association with like the luxury goods and luxury brands and Formula One. And I always think it's, it's such a... Um, you know, interesting when you see the start of qualifying or the start of the race for the formation lap, they always zoom to that big uh, Rolex clock that they have on the side of the mm-hmm. track and just yeah. all those yeah. uh, sort of associations. And last week, Mark and I, we were talking about uh, Talladega Nights and the ballad of Ricky Bobby. And I always <laughs> thought it was, you know, and I, I know this is, you know, this is Hollywood and there this is, uh, you know, comedy, this is humor, this is satire. And I always thought it was interesting how like Ricky Bobby has, you know, his racing suit has like the Wonder Bread logo on it. You know, it's just like, it, it's funny how you associate different things with, with uh, you know, different sports with different brands and different things i mean of course you know the the ballad of ricky bobby is uh, you know it, it's humor but uh, it, it done in such a way that i mean that 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 image sticks with me you know just like as much as a lot of these you know luxury brands you know stick in my mind with with formula one but and a question here, a comment in the live chat on YouTube from uh, Armando VR. And mm-hmm. uh, the comment is, for example, Real Madrid management have always said being a Madrista is a lifestyle. Do you think mm-hmm. Liberty is selling something similar or mm-hmm. something completely different? Uh, Vincenzo, what's your take on that? No, Armando hit, hit the nail right on the head. It's, it, it is a lifestyle, but it's an accessible lifestyle right now. It is... I think Bernie's was selling a lifestyle too. Absolutely it was just a, was. it was a specific yep. lifestyle. It was Absolutely. Monaco. It was Singapore. It was things that were, you know, you're always like on the outside looking in. Yeah, we're, that, yeah. we're peeking into a lifestyle that we liked, but we could never afford. Yeah, I was just sure. going to say, what was the lifestyle that he was selling being like the old rich white guy? Was that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, it's 1%? the yachts. Yeah, yeah. It's the yacht, you know, like- yeah. I'm not saying Monaco will go away, but I could totally see a a time when when if Liberty continues playing this out, Monaco the race itself wouldn't exist like won't exist. I think right now there's too many people that care about it from a it's a, a sentimental yeah. nostalgic standpoint. Yeah, I could absolutely. see a point where it's like 
this isn't even a race anymore. What are we doing here? Like, yeah. this is not exciting for anybody. Yeah. Well, how um, many years do you hear afterwards that the, even the drivers are complaining, like, this is the most boring race that I've ever raced in my entire career, and I feel bad for the fans, and yada, yada, yada. And I could, you know, I could even see it be some sort of sprint where it's just like, the only thing we're going to do is let the drivers go on the track and just do your fast, do a fastest lap type thing, and that's the race, maybe? I, yeah. I'm not going to comment on that. I'm not a expert in that arena. But I can totally see them changing something up because the lifestyle that they're selling now, like I said, was is more of a community. This is something we can rally behind. Mm-hmm. This is something that you're going to invite your friends over to watch. Like people watch football, right? Like I had my uncle stop by here earlier to watch the game because he lives down the street here. Mm-hmm. I said, come on over. Let's watch the game. We don't even, I, I don't like the Buccaneers. I don't like the Cowboys, but I like football. And so let's watch it. He's like, yeah, sure, no problem. We sat down and watched a little bit of the game before we started recording the show. Um, we get together every Sunday to watch Roma, to watch the Steelers, to watch basketball, whatever it is, whatever, pick your sport. Um, same thing with Formula One for folks like us here that watch it already, but not for the normal person. It's like, oh yeah, I might flip it on on my phone or whatever, but they want to create this lifestyle where like it is a communal hmm. brand. It's something you talk about. It's something that you want to get involved with. You want to wear the gear. You want to show it off. You want to kind of shout it from the rooftops the same way you do with other sports. Um, And yeah, so Armando's absolutely seeded a perfect, you know, thought process there. They're selling a lifestyle, but they also, right now they're changing what that lifestyle means to people. They're still, listen, unfortunately, there's still people that say, well, F1, like that's high society. That's the, it's going to, you know, they're going to change that over time. And I didn't run any numbers to see, like, I, I could I could run some numbers to see how how they're faring against, like, maybe luxury brands or less luxury brands. What are the brand affinities there? I would be mm-hmm. curious. So that's a really good par- point that Armando brought up. Um, but, yeah, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to change because if they're going to continue with trying to build a community, you have to get different people. You make yeah. such a great point just in terms of that perception piece. And if we walk it back a little bit, you know, Mark and I, we've been following it for 20 years. We've been to the races, but I think we both understood that six or seven or eight years ago, if you talk to the normal North American sports consumer, there was a perception of Formula One and it wasn't a positive one. It was everything that we yeah. just talked about. It was exclusive, inaccessible. It sure. was designed and catered to a white Western European audience. The drivers mm-hmm. from wealthy backgrounds. It wasn't super inclusive. And I think so much of what Liberty's attempted to do is break down all of those barriers, like you said, and it's going to take time. But the little things like removing the concept of the grid girls, like they serve no purpose in 2018, except to make the sport less inclusive. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, working with Lewis Hamilton, you've done things to break down barriers to introduce... um, new communities into the pathway to entering the world of formula one. Like I think the perception's still there, but I think it's rapidly deteriorating and obviously drive to survive was a big part of that. One of the questions I have for you, just from a branding perspective and, you know, uh, full disclosure to everybody, uh, Vincenzo and I were talking last night and he made a really great point that I wanted to capture for this podcast, which is in North America and in Europe, especially when it comes to team sports, Typically, mm. your allegiance falls with a team for all the reasons that we talked about because you grew up in a Traditionally, city. Traditionally, yeah. Yeah, because you grew up in that community. It was passed down through your DNA. NBA is a little bit different because the NBA has done a really great job of marketing stars sometimes over teams. 
Vincenzo, in, in your yeah. perspective, um, North America, especially because I think for Mark and I, like for me, Williams was passed down from my grandparents. I know in a yeah. lot of communities in the UK and obviously in Italy, which we'll speak to it's, it's Ferrari, but from your perspective, What's happening in North America right now? What's happening in the U.S.? Are people following drivers? Are they supporting teams? Is it a blend of both? With Formula One specifically, I would say you're getting a lot of people. I, I like to use my wife as a perfect example because she is that perfect DTS um, consumer where didn't know anything about the sport before. You know, knew that Ferrari was a car and that, you know, we drove a Mercedes, like my husband drives a Mercedes. So I know that's a car, like cool. <laughs> um, but beyond that, didn't know anything. So I, I like to look at her as a, as a great example because DTS helped her uh, learn about Daniel Ricardo and McLaren. So what did she do? First of all, this is what she's doing. And for those of you that are, are watching, I'm going to display it, but this is what she's doing as she's watching you know, DTS, she's looking things up. She's following them yeah. on Instagram, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. right? She's, she's checking out their Twitter. If it. they have Twitter, what are they doing? Like, that's how people are consuming content these days, sports in general. Such There's a, a second point. screen always with you. And so having that second screen experience creates this instant, you need to have, like, you need to follow it up with something. So if I'm watching a sport on TV and I want to go look up an athlete and then they have no presence or a team and they have no presence, I've probably lost interest. It, it, again, I'm talking about someone who's completely new to something. Formula One is doing a really good job at marketing the drivers. Lando's got his own brand. He's got a gaming uh, team quadrant. It's a lifestyle and gaming brand. Mm -hmm. Lewis does a really good job online. Um, uh, Daniel Ricardo does a great job online. I would say drivers like um, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc are, they do okay. A lot of it feels a little staged. Uh, and I think that's probably a Ferrari thing, which mm -hmm. doesn't, makes perfect sense. Um, Pierre Gasly does a great job. George Russell does a great job. Like they seem a lot more accessible. But again, this was not, like this wouldn't have happened five years ago, right? Like this wasn't <laughs> totally. happening. But very much so, fans are saying, like, I like this driver. I'm going to follow this guy. It, it feels like people are following the sport more so than, first of all, you don't have a lot of drivers to choose from. There's 20 of them. And let's say there's probably 15 of them that are actually, like, going to stick around, right, F beyond this year. Um, that's total, I, I don't even know if that's accurate. 15, right? It's probably about 15. And so you 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 got to follow somebody, right? It's less about the brand because no one, I mean, most people following now, like they don't know the history of Ferrari. They don't know the history of William. Most people see Williams now and they're just like, that's a, that's a crap team. <laughs> but you guys, like, like you have no idea. Yeah, um, totally. Or, or you'll see, you know, you, you, you see Alpine, but they were, you know, that was Renault. These teams have been rebranded over and over. Red Bull was associated with, you, you know, a different, um, uh, different engines, different power units, whatever. Like there's so much mixture. So like no one, I want to say like they, they're starting at that without knowing anything. So the only thing you can say is like, yeah, I like this driver because the teams mean nothing to most people here. I would say it's akin to, like you mentioned, uh, the NBA. NBA stars are bouncing around back and forth. Like if you're a LeBron fan, and, I'm not, and LeBron doesn't, I mean, he's bounced around quite a bit. But if you're a LeBron fan, 
Like, are you really a Heat fan? Are you really a Lakers fan? Are you really a Cavaliers fan? Again, there's pockets of of those who are, but most of them are more like, I'm going to follow LeBron around. Mm-hmm. I'm going to follow. And that's that's pretty new, right? Because Lakers fans had Kobe and like, I'm a Lakers fan, but I'm also a Kobe fan because he's really good and he's awesome and this and that. Uh, the same thing with Shaq, the same thing with Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, but Formula One just has this different, different catch. And I think the drivers are the catch and Liberty's got to, Liberty does understand that. So what's happening is we're going to follow this, the, 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 drivers and wherever they go they go i'm gonna follow that driver i like that guy a lot you know i really i do i personally i I, i'm a big charles leclerc fan right if he left ferrari i would probably still root for him elsewhere i want to see him succeed um and that's again my evolution of my own fandom of the sport but that's what's going to happen with someone else like my wife if her car to go somewhere else She's going to be like, oh, well, okay, I, I really had no tie to, to Lando. I bought her a shirt the other day. It's like the Honey Badger. Barstool Sports made these like F1 merch. Oh, cool. Uh, like unlicensed type stuff. Okay. Um, but it doesn't have like logos or anything. It's like it, it's branded for D- Ricardo. It's the Honey Badger. I had a shirt on earlier. The picture I, I sent you guys, I was wearing my Leclerc shirt, but it looked like a Ferrari patch. Oh. Yep. But yep. it said Leclerc on it. So like Barstool, I, I, they do a really good job at understanding the psyche of of their following. And they are, I would say, a very American, North American following. Well, mm-hmm. they understand it's all about the drivers. It's all right. about branding and, and getting people to follow the drivers. So, yeah, I mean, that's happening. It's happening 100%. You know, it really is interesting, too, because, you know, when it comes to like finding like F1 merch for your favorite driver or your favorite team. It's still in North America. It's really hard to find. I mean, Mark and I have talked about it uh, from time to time that, you know, what, yeah, exactly. It's, it's super pricey. I mean, I, I think we were both looking before the season when, when Aston Martin went and dropped their 2020 <laughs> merch and sorry, 2021 merch. And we were like, uh, you know, I wouldn't really mind getting, uh, you know, an Aston Martin branded cap, you know, for the collection because like 50 pounds or 50 euros yeah. plus about like 20 pounds shipping to get it from the mm-hmm. UK to, to North America. I was like, do I really want to be dropping close to a hundred bucks on, on a ball cap, you know? And yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, and that's the thing. And, and, and that's one question that I've kind of like wondered is, you know, to, to make it more accessible and like, it, it almost kind of goes against the, the, the DNA of Formula One. I Maybe not going against it, but it seems a bit strange to see maybe going to Walmart and see like um, <laughs> a, a range of like Mercedes Formula One team merch like hanging in the in the clothing hmm. section or something like that. But I mean, certainly you could see maybe something at Foot Locker or, you know, Champs or so, you know, a, a chain like that, perhaps. Right. I'm with you. I agree. I, it should be there. Why shouldn't it? You know, it's like any other sport and it's probably not even that difficult to, to get because most of it is you, you have there's Ferrari merchandise. If you walk into a, you know, a Puma store or, mm-hmm. um, I, I go, so when I go to the Mercedes dealership, they've got it. They, first of all, they've got Nico Rosberg in his formula one car pasted right on like in the service department. It is right there. Um, they've got a ton of, you know, F not, a, I want, I don't want to say a ton, but a lot of AMG branded Patronus mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But how do you get this out of here? Um, and I think it, you get it out of there by, by making it just something that is probably driver centric, like you said, rather than brand centric. So mm-hmm. if it's like, Hey, we're going to focus on the driver. I want to say like McLaren 
did this really well with, and this isn't exactly a merch setup, but it's more on the esports, but like they built an esports studio at their headquarters. And like they really listened to Lando when it comes to like this gaming and esports. It's not a joke to them, right? So like if teams could listen to drivers collaborate on things like merch, it I don't think it, it shouldn't be that difficult to provide merchandise in different areas, right? I don't know the solution to it, but it just shouldn't be difficult to say like, this doesn't have to ship from the UK. We can create this in North America or or for North America. It could be the exact same thing. It doesn't have to, like I get my F1 stuff. It comes from the UK or it comes from Italy and it's just like, did it really have to come from, like did it totally. have to come from there? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, Yeah, you know, for real. Like how badly do I want this? I mean, Again, I'm a fan of the sport. I'm a fan of the team. I, I love Ferrari. Uh, so it, it's a little bit different, but like the, the the normal new fan is probably not going to spend money on that kind of stuff. You know, it's kind of funny you should mention that because a couple of years ago, uh, a friend of my wife, she was in Melbourne on holiday. And it was just a complete coincidence that she was there on the exact weekend of the uh, the Australian Grand Prix. And like she's walking around and then we're sitting watching TV one night when the kids are in bed and, you know, she gets a, a text from her friend. She's like, oh, hey, I'm walking around in Melbourne and you guys like that Formula One thing, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm here and the race is on. And then she's just like, uh, that's so, you know, like my wife says, oh, Adis, and she's, she's walking around and I'm just like, I'm like, yo, ask her if there's like a, like a merch booth somewhere. <laughs> so, so that's what she did. So she actually, you know, she was there and so she didn't go into the track, but there were some different, um, you know, some different places around in the city. And so, uh, you know, I had her for, for me, pick up a Daniel, Daniel Ricardo hat. I figured, you know, it's, nice. you know, that, and then my wife's a big Ferrari fan. So she got a shirt, but I mean, you know, that's ah, typically how one of the family. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, I'll, 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 I'll never <laughs> contradict that, especially in front of her because, uh, I'll die. Uh, but, uh, you know, but that's that's typically how it goes when it comes to, you know, getting F1 merch. It's like either yeah. you, you spend a lot of money and ship it over from Europe or whatever, or typically yeah. then, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a friend or a family member that makes a trip or is coming for a visit or whatever, it's just like, hey, you know, I'll order this, I'll ship it to your place, or can you pick this up and bring it with you <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. That's that's typically, I'm just like kind of thinking in, in the 21st century, does it have to be this difficult to, to get a no. t-shirt or a hat or whatever it, it might be. Yeah, my sense is I think you, you got to imagine the retailers, the Dick Sporting Goods, the Foot Lockers, the Champs, anyone else that could potentially distribute this stuff is probably looking at what's happening right now and they've got their merchants, their buyers tapping on the door of every vendor saying, what can we do to start getting this stuff into our brick and mortar location? So my sense is I, yeah. I think there's probably a little bit of I think that when you talk about supply and demand, I think there's demand and there's just no supply. And I think that'll get fixed. But I think we have seen some inroads over the last couple of years. Fanatics, who's obviously a major distributing of uh, licensed sporting apparel in the US, has has some presence online now. The challenge is the pricing is still absurd by US dollars. Like I'm looking at the Fanatics site right now. Yeah. A Mercedes branded Mercedes AMG F1 t-shirt is $70 US. Like I think if you if you walked up to a new Formula One fan in the US and said, hey, a t-shirt's $70, they would probably laugh in your face. Like I want to support, I want to be a part of the community. I'm not spending $70 on a t-shirt. I'm used to spending $70 on a jersey. I'm not spending $70 sure. on a t-shirt. So I think the market sure. will adapt. I, I 
I want to, I know we got to cut to a break here, but before we do, I wanted to share a story and get your take on something else that you were intimately familiar with long before I was. But a few months ago, I came to discover that Topps was producing trading cards for Formula One. And when I found out about this, I actually put a call into a local sports, uh, sports memorabilia shop. And I said, Hey guys, do you have any of these really great new Topps trading cards? Oh my gosh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, do you want to describe to the listeners what you're holding up? I'm holding up a Topps Chrome um, Max Verstappen. This is the number six. Wow. This is like his, considered his rookie card. Um, I believe this is his, this this was after they commemorate his win or whatever. Um uh, at uh, Silverstone in 2020. Wow. And uh, he earned driver of the day, blah, blah, blah. But they like, took this photo. So it's it's a blue like refractor. It's a kind of a rainbow. So for those of you that are looking at it, you can look at, you can just go look up Max Verstappen number six, Tops Chrome 2020, and this will pop up. It's a blue. He's just kind of standing there hanging on his hips. It's but um, this, this card is, I, I think it's worth about 300 bucks raw like this, not graded. Mm-hmm. Um, but a blending of the two conversations we were just having, plus what you just said, I can't get these in the U.S. They have they come from yes. the U.K. So yes. card shops might be able to get them. So there's a card shop back. I'm from Connecticut. I mentioned I go back home to visit my my family. There's a card shop, hobby shop, um, local there that we used to go to as kids all the time. I walked in and I said, "Do you have any Formula One stuff?" He goes, "Some guy just walked out with one." I said, just one. That was the last one you had. He goes, oh, no, he bought the whole case. Wow. That was it. He goes, but he goes, I'll probably not see another Formula One thing for the rest of the year or or mm. six months. And I was like, damn it. So the guy bought the whole case. I believe it was the Topps Chrome. Um, but yeah, so mer- like this is another form of, I believe, mem- merchandise slash memorabilia. It's still very difficult to get. I mean, I do order. I do order. Uh, cards from the UK all the time. I get my Formula One. I also get my European soccer ones from the UK as well. Actually, I think these, the Formula One ones come from Italy. Wow. I do believe the Formula One tops are, I want to say they came from Italy. And I think they're always, they come from Italy, but it's like the UK site. Anyway, um, yeah, still not easy to get, right? So like most people wouldn't know nor understand nor care to purchase that. Like trading cards is a, is huge Right now, mm-hmm. Formula One trading cards is still like way under the radar, but th- but they're still pulling decent numbers. Like on eBay, they're still moving quite a bit, which to me signals really good things. Well, I think my my story is and how naive how naive I was, but I call this memorabilia store. I'm like, hey, do you have any of these cards? And they're like, yeah, we got one box. I'm like, well, how much is a pack? They're like. We don't sell them by the pack. We sell them by yeah. the box. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I'll splurge. I'll spend the 80 bucks on a box. I'm like, how much is the box? $800. 800 $800. Oh <laughs> and the whole point was we were doing this stunt where we were going to open a pack live on the air. So I ended up buying a pack on eBay for $60, like a single pack, yeah. four cards, $60. But the demand is incredible. But I think what's mm-hmm. innovative and cool about this is obviously, and we can talk about why sports cards are so big in the US right now. And it could be because of the asset bubble and there's so much cash being floated out and being printed and people are putting it into collectibles yep. but the fact that f1 cards have picked up momentum in the u.s is oh yeah is is pretty crazy and i've been in that memorabilia store a couple times since and they sold that box almost instantly but both times i've been in there there were customers in there asking do you have any formula one cards and they're like yep. nope and we're not going to see any more we have to wait to see if they do another run next year which i thought was which i thought was incredible 
I, yeah. I was meant to, to ask you, Mark, what was the like the shopkeeper's kind of um, attitude towards it? Did he seem warm on it, or was it just kind of these? I'm just bringing them in because people are asking for them. Did you get? Yeah, my. You- yeah, so my perspective was they were surprised and they took a box because their distributor had kind of coerced them into doing it. Like, hey, this hmm. could be a pretty hot thing. And they're like, you know what? It's one piece. We know that there isn't going to be a ton of availability. We know that there isn't a lot of allotment or allocation coming to North America. We'll grab it. But I don't think they expected that they were going to sell the entire box at 800 piece. Like, hmm. I don't think they were expecting that at all. But I also thought it was really interesting that, again, like I said, both subsequent visits that I went to that store, there were people looking, which I thought was just, just fascinating. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. Hey guys, uh, let's just park it here. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, there's still lots of things to talk about, including actual Formula One news. We haven't gotten yeah, to it yet. To there's F1 been, been some big F1 news uh, this week. Yeah, we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And before we get to the actual news of the of the week of the day and look ahead to the Italian Grand Prix on Sunday, now this is uh, something interesting, and I, I kind of wanted to pick up on this uh, partly because uh, one of my best friends uh, works for EA Sports. He uh, does a lot of the social media for the uh, for the FIFA franchise. But the one thing that uh, that uh, Mark uh, you had uh, wanted to t- discuss with uh, Vincenzo was the, the the Formula One game, the official one that's been uh, done by Codemasters that's been taken over by EA. Which I keep bugging my friend that uh, you know being an EA employee, I'm expecting an employee discount when I buy one because hey, I'm cheap. Uh, anyways, kind of building on what we were talking about uh, a little bit, or we you know you you uh, mentioned it uh, briefly. Vincenzo was uh, just uh, Lando and his his uh, you know the esports and all that sort of thing. How important do you think that uh, th- this whole esports and the gaming is Great to question. to Formula One? I mean, I think they're both kind of interlinked. Uh, just the game itself is a property that uh, people, because you know, I buy it, I play it, I enjoy it. But then, of course, uh, esports is a thing itself. It's just like my buddy Jorge always says. He says basically, I make a living off of uh, generating social media and hyping up teenagers uh, playing mm-hmm. FIFA, you know, and uh, w- which is yeah. cool. But um, w- what's your take on that? Yeah. Well, esports itself is, I mean, projections for the industry at like esports as a whole is through the roof. I mean, they're looking at, I think, two billion was projected for the industry. I believe, um, one maybe it was one point one point eight two billion something like that um, by twenty twenty two. There's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, you have. You you have opportunity with esports to. We were talking earlier about luxury brands being exclusive and communities being inclusive, right? F one you create a community. Not everybody can drive an F one car. Not everyone can drive an F two, an F three car, a karting. You know, like there's 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 twenty drivers. There's twenty, twenty, and there's like maybe let's say ten of them that are the absolute 
just highest echelon of talent Mm -hmm. in the world, right? Well, Mark, Mark, and Vincenzo are not going to be riding in a, you know, driving a Formula One car anytime soon. But you know what I can do? I can go jump on my PlayStation with my, you know, wheel and pedals, and I can get a lot of the feeling of driving the car without any of the risk. It costs nothing aside from the the game and the equipment and whatever. About, let's say a thousand bucks to go and drive an F1 car with realistic, very realistic mechanics, very realistic tracks, very realistic, um, you know, response in your setup. That to me is a huge opportunity for Formula One to keep diving into. And I, you know, I read like the, I, I read a lot of the Reddit threads around the F1. There's like an F1 game Reddit th- uh, uh, subreddit. And I mean, people like just go crazy for this stuff. They absolutely lose their minds for adjustments in the game. I mean, people are like tweaking cars and adjusting, you know, all sorts of you know, suspension and aerodynamics. And they're like talking about how did you hack the game to do that? I mean, like people are hacking the game, like things (laughs) that they do that you would think are only like shooter games and first part, like those types of things. Like, no, there's, you know, FIFA. This is very much on par with any of those. Um, Maybe it doesn't, again, maybe it doesn't get all the, the love that FIFA or some of the shooters get. But there's, there's a huge community there. I don't know the numbers of it. Uh, off the top of my head, but like just from what I'm seeing, especially like uh, Reddit's a great, uh, for me, I use Reddit a lot to yeah. really gauge yeah. where there's a lot of interest, uh, raw interest. And I think there's opportunity there. I mean, listen, F1 teams lose money regularly, right? Like they're not there to generate a lot of money. Uh, maybe Mercedes generated some some money, some actual profit, right? Um but you have an opportunity to actually generate revenue with with esports. So the same way a lot of like NFL or NBA teams, Major League Baseball teams are now they have their own esports right. mm-hmm. team. Right. Formula One teams can do the same thing. And McLaren, you know, they're they're working toward either they're working towards it or they already do have one. But I know they're working with Lando to really build that up. And why not set up leagues? This is ideally, I would love to see an F1 uh, season, F1 esports season, where you have your F1, like each Mercedes, they get, they bring on two youngsters, two drivers that are gamers and that like they compete every week or yep. whatever, however they set it up against the same thing. Like that to me is such an opportunity, more opportunity for sponsorship different kinds of sponsors like we're already seeing crypto sponsors and a lot of these tech sponsors from the u.s like that would grow exponentially if they added on a league and and relatively inexpensive right because you don't have to have these massive tracks and safety regulate there's none of that all of that goes away the overhead in business terms i don't want to say is almost zero but hell it's almost zero Mm -hmm. like you don't even have to have these drivers go anywhere they could technically do it from their own like studio, right? If if you really want to do it that way, and it can be streamed to probably just as many people that are watching the the, the races here in the U.S., which is you know we're right around that million mark right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the numbers, like Lando, he has about a million followers on Twitch, and 
he's not even the biggest name in the sport, right? But he's doing about a million followers on Twitch and he's doing about 100,000 concurrent live viewers every time he goes live. That's just Lando. Imagine a league, right? An F1 game league where every driver has probably exponentially greater followers that Lando has. Like, that's where my head goes with it. And that just brings on more people that want to play the game, more recognition for the game itself, for the sport itself, for the drivers, for the teams, you know, seeing the the prancing horse, seeing the Mercedes logos and the Aston Martin logos and seeing all of that in the game. Like that brings awareness. And and the difference between Ecclestone and, and now Liberty is the fact that one understood that awareness actually means something long term. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other didn't. And so the the game, I mean, getting getting the game into someone's hand, whether it's here or PlayStation or computer, whatever it is, it, it's it's. I want to say it's it's inv- it's just invaluable. There's no, you can't put a price tag on it because now you're putting it in front of people, you're blasting them with it. Even not during, you know, like the races are only what one day a week. Yeah. Plus plus, if you're a fan enough, yeah. you're watching Saturday and Friday. Well, now I'm playing my F1 game and I'm being blasted with Mercedes logos and, and Red Bull logos for seven days a week. Yeah. Yep. Mark, I yep. know you are dying and so am I to get to the driver news, but I wanted to just add one more piece <laughs> to this. And Mark's like, I just want to talk about Formula One. Actually, I know, like, track, where, whereas you and I are like deeply into this conversation about branding and marketing. But the one thought I had is we get a common question from our listeners, which is, can you recommend a sim setup for me? And when I first got into this whole podcasting world, I'm like, what the hell is a sim setup? But it is legitimately people Mm -hmm. building simulators at home to to replicate the Formula One experience. And the Formula One game affords you the opportunity that NBA 2K doesn't, that that, uh, NHL 2021 Mm -hmm. doesn't. Like Those are video games. They're top-down video games. You see everything that's going on. You pass the puck. But when you play the Formula One video game, it is a simulator. It is simulating the experience. Like The closest closest analogy would be like, it would be NBA 2K, but you're playing it three-dimensionally through the eyes of one of the players. But that's not what it is. But in Mm -hmm. Formula One, you are experiencing a race through the eyes of a driver. And with every iteration, it gets better. And then you have these folks, and I went to the Best Buy website, like they're now selling the gear, they're selling the chassis and the chairs and the mounts for the TVs and steering wheels, but literally like a dedicated room for this stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, We have people like that are asking us. I'm like, dude, like, I don't know, but people are sharing with us like, Hey, what do you think of my new Mm -hmm. sim setup? It's got a 50 inch 4k TV and it's got this. I'm like, that is incredible. That was 20 grand, but people are legit trying to replicate the formula one experience because it's unique. Like you don't get that experience with any other sports video game. And 20 grand is nothing considering how many millions does it take to go and try and totally be an F1. First of all, you can't be, I couldn't go and be an F1 driver now. You guys couldn't go and be F1 yep. drivers right now, right? If you didn't start when you were younger karting, like you're, it's probably never going to happen for you. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, you know what? I can go spend 20 grand. I, I can go spend 20 grand on a vintage Porsche. Or I can go spend 20 grand to ride around year round, you know, in a Formula One car. Like it's it's kind of a no brainer for, for some people, you know, like. 
the, all, listen, I would love to have a cool setup like that and race all the time. I just don't have the time. The, the, all I'm hearing is spending 20 grand on this or in spending 20 grand on that no. would equal a divorce in no matter where I strive yes. from the 20 yes. grand, especially if it was yes. something completely <laughs> selfish for, for myself like that. Correct. But, you know, I, I have to like, you know, pick my draw, jaw off of the, 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 the floor because I mean, the, the, the fact that some people are that dedicated and spend that yeah. sort of money is incredible. But it, it, it really is a cool phenomenon. There, there's just before we cut to our final break, here guys like i just wanted to mention one thing and you know t- i talk about the you know, the esports thing with my buddy a, a lot and I, I forget the 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 numbers now because this is pre-pandemic and everything kind of pre-2020 is a bit of a blur but i remember him telling me that um, they had one of their uh, finals and he used to travel all over the world to these different um you know uh fifa competitions and stuff like that but they put something one of their uh, finals it was on espn2 or something like that on super bowl sunday and i can't remember the numbers that it drew but it it ran parallel to the super bowl and i can't remember what it peaked but they were stoked because the numbers were massive that not only did they get the amount of viewers that they did but they did it on super bowl sunday which you know is the one sunday of the year where everybody watches you know the you know what's happening uh, you know, on, in the game itself. So it was really just uh, incredible. Anyways, one final break when we come back. It's uh, an hour and 10 minutes into the show, and we're actually going to talk about some Formula One news. But, uh, you know, it's been a great conversation so far with our special guest, Vincenzo Landino. And we'll pick up on the flip side. So, guys, don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the show. And Mark, I know you've been dying to talk about this ever since uh, last weekend as well, everybody else. But, you know, it was funny because of when you texted me the news about uh, Valtteri, you know, officially leaving Mercedes and going to Alfa Romeo. I was uh, I was out on the bike and I was waiting for my brother to catch up at the top of a hill where we were riding. And uh, I pulled out my phone. And the first thing, you know, because I, w- I wanted to see because you sometimes my kids will, will, will text me when they wake up because we get up super early in the morning. We'll go out. Uh, you know, like at, at first light. And the first thing I see is it's official. Valtteri's going to Alfa Romeo. And it's just, uh, you know, kind of hinting at, uh, well, how soon will it be before they drop the news that George is going to replace him at uh, Mercedes? But it was kind of the that that first piece, that first domino that needed to fall in the whole driver market. And there's been some some obviously some big news this week. Yeah, absolutely incredible week. And I think this is what you and I especially was really expect or speculating was going to happen throughout the summer break, that we've got this four-week period. We'll probably get a better sense of what's happening from a driver market perspective during the summer. It didn't happen. In fact, it really took until about a week ago for that first proverbial domino to fall. And surprisingly, that domino was Kimi Raikkonen, because I think a lot of people understood that maybe he wanted to stick around, maybe Maybe he had another year in him, but he retired last week. And we talked a lot about that during the podcast, but that was the opening that was necessary for Valtteri Bottas to move over to Alfa Romeo. It's where he wanted to be. It's generally widely reported that he also had some pretty intense conversations with Williams. Williams was very interested in bringing him back. And for those of that you don't know, he had some real success with that team in the years leading up to 2016, scored a, a plethora of podiums, helped bring helped bring Williams into, I wouldn't say championship contention, but into the top four in 2014, the first year of the turbo hybrid era. He had the opportunity to go back to Williams, chose to go to Alfa Romeo. Great move for him. And like you said, that 
created the opening, the vacuum for probably the worst kept secret in all of Formula One, which is young British phenom George Russell will be going to Mercedes next year. So I think a question for both of you, what do you think Bottas's legacy is going to be with Mercedes? He was there for five years, joined them in 2017 after the shock retirement of Nico Rosberg. What do you think his legacy is ultimately going to be with, with Mercedes? Well, I think he's the ultimate uh, teammate to, to to Lewis Hamilton. I think he, he's the guy that also helped uh, them win, I guess, what, four or five championships in a row. I mean, incredibly consistent. I mean, not a guy that was going to take a lot of races away from Lewis, but was going to win the occasional race here and there. And most importantly for Mercedes and for, for Lewis, you know, a guy that got along with everybody in the team and was not going to perpetuate that to- uh, toxic atmosphere that existed, um, you know, in the Nico Rosberg era. Because, I mean... No doubt the guy's competitive, but I don't think uh, he was willing or necessarily has the personality to uh, to, to get really nasty like uh, the, the way that it got uh, between um, you know Lewis and Nico. And I mean, h- how many incidents did we see between Rosberg and Hamilton over the years? I mean, has there ever been a Bottas Hamilton collision? Not even never, close, right? Never, never, yeah. no. Yeah, Vincenzo, no, what, 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 you agree with that or? I- I was going to say, you know, I, I, I do agree. And I think he, I think not only the ultimate teammate, but really he, he gave them the, I think he gave them, he gave Mercedes the best opportunity to win the championship and win the construct, you know, both constructors and the driver's championship um, because he could put pace. I mean, the he had, I mean, he, he was fast. I mean, he regularly was was putting up I don't want he wasn't putting up poles but he was putting up fast laps you know during qualifying regularly he's putting up fastest laps you know around the circuit during the races we just saw it last week you know they were like don't don't do it don't do it (laughs) abort abort fastest lap he's still got but I mean I'm looking at his I just pulled up his uh championship um numbers right now since he's been with Mercedes I mean he's finished third fifth second second and he's currently third Third, fifth, second, second, and current. I mean, if this was any other driver on any other team, we'd be like, "That this guy's great. Mm-hmm. This guy's great." But for some reason, and I think on the flip side of what you were saying, Mark, I think he just gets a bad rap because either Mercedes expects more. I, I don't know how you can give more. Like I don't know how he can give more than. Okay, so he could have finished second instead of third, and he could have finished second instead of fifth. But then he finished second in the last two years, not 2019, 2020, he Literally finished second. He can't do any more for you unless you want him to win. So, you know, I think he, I think he did get shafted. He got the short of the stick, but I also, I don't know if he is a number one driver. I don't, I don't know. Um, but he does seem like such a great guy, like a guy I'd want to hang out with. And um, yeah. I wish him the best at Alpha. I think he's, I think he's the perfect guy right there for a younger driver to kind of show him the ropes. Um, as long as they give him a decent car, car, I think he'll put up some good numbers. You know, where's he going to bring Alfa Romeo? Like, I, I don't know how 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 high up can you bring Alfa Romeo right now? But um, yeah, his legacy it's it's in, it'll be interesting to see how people talk about him. I mean, Lewis praised him, uh, the team praised him, but like, I don't know. I always I, I seem to think like the actions during the race never seem to match what the, the, the announcements they make afterwards. So I'm like, uh, do you guys mean that? 
Because, yeah. man, you screw, you seem to always screw him on the, on the track. So I know, right? Um, and, and I think the thing that's good for him, too, is he finally got more than a one-year deal. I mean, he's been on this rolling yeah. one-year contract with Mercedes for, for years and years and years. He's re- reunited with Frederick Vasseur, which was his team boss in the Junior uh, you know, Series. Yeah. And, you know, they, they obviously have some designs on kind of pulling themselves up uh, through the grid somewhere. And, you know, having a guy like Valtteri there. And, uh, well, I know they haven't confirmed who might that second driver would be, at least. Uh, you know, I haven't checked all the news today, so you know, I hope they haven't come out here to prove me wrong. But uh, you know, it, it is uh, you know, I think it's good for him. And you know, Vincenzo, like you say, he's he's not a number one guy at a team like Mercedes, but definitely a number one guy at a team like uh, Alfa Romeo. Sure. And for a guy that's you know going into his mid thirties, I think it's a good move for the, the the point of his career where he's at. Solid. He'll he'll give them he'll give them consistency that yeah they need yeah absolutely. And I think both of you absolutely nailed it right for all the criticism that he received he helped them win five constructors championships he did exactly Mm -hmm. what was asked of him every year that he was there they won the constructors and every Mm -hmm. year that he was there he gave lewis the opportunity to win the driver's title and i think you're right in the sense that if he was much more competitive, maybe it introduces that friction and that toxic culture that we experienced with Nico. Right. So, you know, we mm-hmm. can criticize him. He gets to walk away at the end of his career having won five Constructors Championships. He got to win nine Grand Prix with Mercedes. He got to be a, be around a winning culture and have the opportunity to win week in and week out. I don't think this was a failure. I think it was a great acquisition by Total. And it came at the exact right moment too, because for anyone that remembers 2016, Mercedes may have won both of the championships, but it was a season that was absolutely burdened with drama and internal friction. And they were able to dispense all of that by bringing Valtteri. He was the right guy at the right time. Mm -hmm. He helped rebuild the culture and he delivered exactly what they needed on the track. So I think for me, I look at his career you know, obviously there were mistakes and there was instances where you could challenge his pace and things like that. But ultimately he did exactly what the team wanted him to do. And to your point, Mark, he wants some security. He deserves some security. He just turned mm-hmm. 32 and now he gets that two-year deal with Alpha and he gets to go in and be a lead driver and help potentially bring along a young driver driver next to him, which opens up the next big question, which Mark, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this one because you and I have been talking about this for a year <laughs> now. George Russell is going to Mercedes. He's going to be partnered with Lewis. We know they're going to race together for at least two years because that is the length of Lewis's contract or Lewis's most recent contract. Your thoughts, is this deserved? Because that's the debate in the F1 community. Is it deserved? Should he be getting the seat? Has he done enough? And if he has, is he going to uh, put a, a little bit of heat on Lewis next year? Well, you know, that's fascinating. That certainly is the $64,000 question. I mean, just like you said, Valtteri was the right guy in the right place at the right time. I think that George is the right guy at the right place at the right time, at least if you're you're George Russell. I mean, he's done well in a team with a car that obviously is a bit of, you know, more than a bit of a lemon. And I mean, we've seen how good he can be in qualifying. And the thing is, I mean, from his point of view, I mean, he he is in the perfect place because he gets to go and race with one of the greatest drivers of all time. He's going to a team that 
that has you know uh, you know unlimited resources. It's a team that is uh, obviously a perennial contender, and uh, you know if uh, you're, you're George, you know you just have to trust in yourself. And I mean, you have to think, well, you know, if, if I didn't have talent, if I didn't have potential, why is a guy like Total Wolf coming along and offering me a deal to come and race for his team? Because I mean, let's face it, not as he only there to help win the championship, the the constructors there, and maybe even a championship of his own. I mean, he's there to take over from Lewis because Lewis obviously is not going to race uh, forever. I mean, the big question is now, is this the last Formula One contract that he's ever going to sign? And, uh, you know, at, at some point, I mean, you know, he, he obviously has other interests away from the sports. He doesn't have to prove anything else at this point. I mean, he's racing because he, he obviously still enjoys it. He doesn't need the money. And um, George, I think, um, you know, he has to be considered the heir apparent. And I, I think very much like Valtteri, I think that uh, the, they've brought in a guy that has, you know, help contribute to that positive atmosphere there. And I don't think he's going to want to rock the boat because I think that we really made some, we, I think we were a little bit cynical about it a couple of weeks ago, that uh, that radio message that he made about, uh, we wasn't really in contention the race and he was like, oh, you know, bring Nick in. Nick's doing so good. You know, like, <laughs> you, you can sacrifice my race for Nick. And we're just like, we were, we were kind of joking about the time. It's like, was it was this like really sincere? Or was he just kind of trying to upsell himself to, you know, to, to look good totally. to like a potential lawyer. <laughs> yeah, if it Genzo, I see a lot of like nodding in agreement. What, what, what's your thoughts? No, I think that you know the difference with with uh, Nico and Lewis in twenty six are in their time together. You know, they were they're the same age, which is I think great a, point. Very different. They're peers. It's very different than where you know, where Lewis and George are. Mm-hmm. And so I think George is, is much more uh, competitive than Valtteri. Yeah. He absolutely wants to push. Yeah. He's younger. He wants to push the car. He wants to drive it to its very limit. I mean, you can see even the way he brakes and things like, I mean, he's very, very aggressive, um, which is great. I just, I don't foresee the same issues with Lewis, interacting with each other ju- simply based on the age like hey it's a seniority thing i'm pretty i'm the greatest driver uh, not that lewis is saying this but like th- at least in george's mind like he's seeing this 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 man sir lewis hamilton he's freaking knighted for you know like uh, who i'm just george russell i'm just this young kid who's got to <laughs> kind of you know grind my teeth and and, and whatnot I, so I think the relationship is different because there's just a different dynamic right now. Lewis has this status that is, you know, uh, much different than where he was in 2016. So um, I think for that, it'll be it'll be smoother sailing. I, I, I am curious to see though if George will push it. If like, is Mercedes going to let him win some races? If, if if he of course drives that that well. Um, It'll be that'll be very so, interesting. Vincenzo, for me to you see. nailed it, and and sorry, I I got to jump in here because you you just hit on something that I'm super excited and emotional about because I want to see how it plays out. I think you touched on something great that you can't compare Nico and Lewis to George and mm-hmm. Lewis. Nico and Lewis were peers. They grew up together. They raced together. They carted great together. Yep. They they competed in all the lower formulas. And you have to remember as well that. Nico had been at Mercedes for several years before Lewis Mm -hmm. got there. Like he was as much Mercedes at that point as anyone else was like Lewis was coming to his team and then experienced all that immediate Mm -hmm. success. This is a different story. We're talking about two drivers that have a decade 
difference in age. We're talking about worlds of difference in experience. Um, yeah. But I think you touch on a really great point, which is one, I would expect, I think whether any of us believe George deserves this, whether he is the up and coming prodigy that the British media likes to portray him as, I expect him to 100% come in and deliver more pace than Bottas. And Vincenzo, I think you sure. touched on the best possible question is, this is all great. They're going to be super friendly. They're going to be chummy. They're going to say all the right things in the press. The British press mm-hmm. is going to love this, having two great British drivers on the same <laughs> team. But what happens the minute that all of a sudden George has got better pace in a race and he's right behind Lewis and the team has to make that decision. Do they let them race or do they deploy team orders? That's what I cannot wait to see because that's where I think. I mean, if it's Valtteri, they'd pit him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. If it's Valtteri or, or they or they'd met, or they would deliberately screw up a pit. Like, and it's hard not to believe that that's what's happened. With George, is he the, the second coming? I don't know. I, they seem to think he is. I, I like him. I don't, I just don't know if he's at the, I mean, the British media is like unrelated, but I saw someone make a quote, uh, make a comment about uh, British soccer. I think it was uh, the soccer player Zabi. And he said, you know, if, if, if I was British or if, if any of these people were British, they would be the second coming if they had one good game. Like if you have one good game, the British media just thinks you are a legend. And so I think it's the same thing with, you know, with Formula One, it's like, man, you have one good right. race or you show one good thing, like you are the greatest thing. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I listen, I, I wish nothing but the best for George. I hope I hope he he dominates it. I just hope Mercedes hasn't botch it with with the two of them. I, I just, uh, you know, maybe this is just me being me and just uh, being, you know, kind of weird. But I, I just couldn't help uh, but think that, you know, if we see something like uh, George is, you know, going to be faster than Lewis and they deploy team orders, I, I thought very much like of uh, Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel in uh, in Australia a couple of years <laughs> ago. They had this sort of this mental picture of that happening. And then Charles getting on his phone after the race is like, bro, call me. Yeah, <laughs> we, you know, I, we could Dude. talk about this. They'll have a WhatsApp grabber. Oh man! That's right. Right. (laughs) So the the other big, the other big driver story that we we absolutely have to talk about because this is something I didn't see happening six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, a month ago. I think it was assumed that obviously if George Russell was going to make the transition to Mercedes, that was going to open up a seat at a Mercedes customer team in Williams, and I think Mm -hmm. it's been pretty well understood that Williams has really solicited or accepted a lot of feedback and guidance from Mercedes over the last four or five years in terms of who's Mm -hmm. going to be piloting their cars. And I think the assumption this entire time, at least for folks like me in the content creation world, was that if George Russell steps out, Mercedes has another talented young driver who won a Formula 2 championship, has now won a Formula E championship, Nick DeVry, who would step in and fill that seat. It works for Mercedes. He's a Mercedes driver. He stays with a Mercedes customer team. It's perfect. That's not what happened. Over the course of the last couple of weeks, Williams got very, very, very excited about a different driver, a member of the Red Bull family and Alex Albon. And ultimately, against what's been reported as the better wishes of Mercedes, they did sign him. Now, he had to relinquish his Red Bull contract, although Christian Horner and Helmut Marko are quick to note that they have options to re-sign him if he Hmm. does opt to leave the Williams team. But ultimately, we have this really curious dynamic now where Nick DeVries still doesn't have a seat. 
Mercedes clearly isn't happy about that because they've now shut down their Formula E program, which is where they'd had him stashed away. And now all of a sudden you have a Red Bull driver who's been out of the sport for a year coming in to take a seat at a Mercedes customer team. So it says one thing about Williams. It says that under Dalton, hey, we are an independent team. We make our own decisions. Mr. Daly, did this move catch you off guard? Were you expecting to see Albon back? And if so, were you expecting to see him with a Mercedes team? No, I wasn't expecting him to end up at Mercedes. I was very much expecting him to pretty much hold station where he was at uh, at Red Bull as like so a reserve driver or something so like that. I. I mean, I very much, I thought it was going to be Nick that was going to get that uh, seat. But then I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, especially if you're Alex, this makes sense because you're going to a team where there's going to be no pressure. You can go out there. You're not going to be expected to get podiums. You're not going to be expected to win races. You're not there to help try and steal a Constructors' Championship away from, uh, from Mercedes. So, I mean, he can just go out there and do his own thing. He can just go out there and let Alex be Alex and just go out there and drive and just do what he does best. Because, I mean, I I think that, you know, he had the opportunity, obviously, at at Red Bull. It didn't work out. And I mean, that's become a bit of, well, let's just call it like it is. It's become a bit bit of a farce with that second seat and the way that they've rotated guys in and out of that second Red Bull over the past uh, couple of years. So, I mean, that's why it was a bit surprising that they re-signed Sergio Perez. But I guess they kind of sort of had to because who else would they really uh, replace him with? So I I think this is a chance for Alex to reinvigorate his Formula One career. And it'll be interesting to see how he, he does second time around. And I'd love to hear Vincenzo's thoughts as well, but I just want to read this quote that somebody just sent to me from Joost Capito, team principal at Williams. This just reinforces uh, that message that I shared a couple of minutes ago. And I quote, I think Toto at the end, he understands and we understand that we are not a Mercedes B team and we are not a Mercedes satellite team Mm. and that we have to take the decisions that are right for us. And ultimately, they decided that Alex Albon was the right driver. Vincenzo, was that the right move for for Williams at this time? Correct me if I'm wrong. They wanted Valtteri, did they not? So I think Valtteri was definitely their preference. At least that's been reported that they mm-hmm. wanted Valtteri and that Valtteri had ultimately decided that at this time in his career, Alfa Romeo was a better fit. Here's the thing. I think by them picking Albon, he's a younger driver. He's more of a future forward driver. And if Williams wants to uh, put kind of draw a line in the sand and say, hey, we're we're going to bring ourselves back to glory, um, I I think you do that with a younger driver and you build it from the bottom. You know, bringing someone, I'm not even saying Valtteri because we just talked about Valtteri ad nauseum. He he would probably fit in almost on any team, right? Because he's a great second. You still need a good first. Um, Albon fits. I I, I think he's got a lot of talent. Um, I think the pressure of the bigger teams just got to him when he was there. Mm -hmm. And like you said, with the Red Bull seat, the second seat is always revolving. Like you don't even, I mean, you could, you could race well and still be worried about your seat there. Um, and as Perez has shown, but, um, yeah, I think Albon's the right choice. I, I, I like the kid a lot. I really, really like him. I think he's got a lot of talent. I think he has a lot of, there's a lot of potential there. And like you said, with, if Williams is making this clear, like, Hey, we're not, 
we're, we're not just this, we're not just, you know, this, uh, this feeder program for, for Mercedes. Like we are our own team. This is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. You kind of, you, you take from, you go, you go and take from Red Bull and like, that's perfect. I, I kind of laughed when I saw the news. I was like, that's, that just makes so much sense. And, um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, cause Latifi, I don't, I don't know how you, what you guys think of Nicholas Canadian driver, there's I, there's talent, right? It's just like how can they provide the talent with the right, you know, uh, ecosystem around them? I think that's going to be the the biggest thing for them to find is now you have two young, I mean, mostly, I don't want to say inexperienced, but unproven. Like, right? They they haven't proven themselves in 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 the big leagues yet. So how do they provide what they need around them to get to that next level? And and like, can they provide the car? Like Williams needs to worry about can we provide a car for whoever sits in our seats mm-hmm. before anything else? So this is a good kind of clean slate for them. I feel like, you know, it's funny uh, watching Alex go to, uh, to Williams. It kind of uh, almost sets the stage for kind of like this episode of Jerry Springer of all these spurned <laughs> Red Bull drivers. And, you know, one of them gets on with uh, another team, but anyhow, uh, just uh, talking about Nick and it's interesting. I think that finally we're seeing that Williams is, you know, their car's, I think it's in a much better place than it's been over the past uh, several years. And I think mm-hmm. that we've seen some, you know, some signs that, uh, that, that Nick's feeling good in that car. I mean, we, we've seen some better outings from him over the past three, four, maybe five uh, races. And uh, so I, I think I was a little bit surprised, but, uh, you know, happy for Nick. I mean, you know, we're always homers when it comes to the, uh, you know, you know, the, the, the home, you know, the guy, the, the local boys, yep. you know, be it, the, you know, anybody <laughs> from North America. So I was happy to see for him and, and I hope that it works out for him as well. Like I, I've started to see some flashes of, uh, you know, some, some positive things happening for Nicholas uh, Latifi. So he's got another shot to, to go around with them again and I hope it works out for him. Yeah. And obviously I'm very excited. Uh, I, I would say that Nicholas Latifi is probably as close to the show as anyone in the formula one circuit. I'm, I'm obviously a big fan. He's a great kid. I think he's shown some real strides over the last couple of weeks and months. Obviously he scored points at the end of the first half in Hungary. He scored some points in Belgium, which was fantastic. And then obviously his qualifying ended and or ended in disappointment in Zandvoort, mm. but he was in Q2 with George and looked to have equal pace, which was incredibly exciting to see. Um, I think the team is expecting big things from him. I believe that this is good for him. It's obviously good for Formula One in North America. And on a personal level, I'm also really happy about this because as long as he's been in Formula One, we've been working through this global pandemic. As a Canadian driver who's very proudly Canadian and wears the maple leaf on his sleeve and it's literally on the top of his helmet, he's never had the opportunity to race at home at the Canadian Grand Prix. So this should give him the opportunity to compete at the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal next summer. Um, And what will be incredibly exciting about that is he'll be lining up on the grid next to another Canadian driver in Lance Stroll, which is very cool. So I think this is a smart move for them. I think he's shown some obvious progression. And I think for Williams as well, as we migrate into the new era and the new world of the 2022 regulations, it's probably good to have some consistency. He's obviously been a part of that journey. He's been helping to develop that 2022 car. And you probably don't want to go into the new era and the new regulations with two new drivers that have no familiarity with the concept of the chassis, the power unit. So this gives you some consistency. And I think ultimately... Alex will be able to learn as much from him as he will from Alex, because obviously Alex has had some experience and has scored um, a podium and has raced in a much more competitive, much more competitive car. 
Absolutely. Hey guys, let's, you know, first of all, we should probably uh, start to speeding things up a little bit, knowing that, you know, the Vincenzo's on the East coast, it's getting late over there for you. You know, I'm here for you guys. That's awesome. We totally appreciate it. But, uh, you know, of course we were saying off the top of the show here, it is, um, the Italian Grand Prix this weekend. It is Monza's one of the classic, one of the most famous uh, circuits, um, in Formula One in motorsport. You know, the, the atmosphere at the track is always, you know, fantastic. I mean, last year, what with the pandemic and everything was, uh, was, mm-hmm. was a bit weird, you know, not seeing all these passionate fans in the stands and, you know, all the, the banners and, and everything like that and all the celebrations, the, the big party at the podium uh, celebrations. I mean, especially after Charles won in 2019, which was an epic race in and of itself. moment. Which was uh, which was great, but l- let's talk about the the, the race itself uh, because you know it is going to be it's one of the fastest uh, tracks on the circuit. I just uh, pulled up uh, some of the stats here, so it's you know there, there's been 90 Italian Grand Prix over the years. First held in 1921, the winningest two drivers there are Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton. They both won it five times each. Ferrari Vincenzo, you'll be happy to know, is the most winningest constructor at the Italian. Grand Prix, they've won it 20 times. So Monza... That was all in like the 50s and 60s. <laughs> it, well, I mean, and then there was last year. What Was it last year, the double DNF? Uh, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it actually, so if you look behind me, I have the SF-1000. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, I have both Vettel and Leclerc. And uh, yeah. You know, for for a guy that's just moved into a new place, you obviously have your priorities uh, you know, <laughs> well ordered to get you know, unpack certain things. Uh, you know, first of I all, I mean, certain things had to get unpacked, but <laughs> absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, just going back to to last year, I mean, if you look at the podium, if if you don't go back and actually watch the race, I mean, you would do a complete uh, double take because we saw a first uh, time Grand Prix winner, Pierre Gasly, winning his first and only. Uh, Formula One race uh, to date, only just uh, less than half a second ahead of Carlos Sainz for McLaren. Obviously, Carlos uh, driving for, for 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 Ferrari this year, pardon me. And then Lance Stroll rounding out uh, the, the podium. I mean, that was an eventful race. I mean, there was a number of uh, red flags and safety cars and all that uh, drama. But uh, it's always an exciting track, uh, you know, to, to to watch a Formula One race at. But Vincenzo, maybe give a little bit of uh, context from from the cultural point, uh, you know, standpoint of you know what Ferrari is, what Ferrari means, and just the whole, you know, the the, the passion involved, and and how that translates to what happens in the fans at the track on not just race day, but the entire weekend. I mean, motorsport is just a whole other level, right, for Italians, and it's it's. to me it's always begun and ended with ferrari you know you have other you know alpha you have alfa romeo you have your you know fiat you have even lamborghini who's not even fully italian anymore but you have all these other brands but to me it it, ferrari (laughs) it meant so much like enzo ferrari the way he i remember uh walking through the enzo ferrari museum and reading the the contract that you know Ford had drawn up, and um, a lot of people probably know this story, but he famously rejected the offer from Ford mainly because he didn't want to give up control of the racing team. Mm-hmm. Because to him, the racing team meant everything. If you were fast, if 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 the public equated your name with speed and winning, they'll buy your cars, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it, 
selling cars wasn't even like was second. Like, that was just that was not even first for Enzo Ferrari. So for Italians, it's like man, this is this was an Italian man who started something from scratch, chased a passion, truly a passion. And Italians are known for their passion. I said that earlier in the show, right? Like we're known for being passionate for in everything. And Monza being that track, like that iconic race, this is our, like, you know, it's your home field. Yes, there's other, there's other races in Italy as well, but this one is just like, this is the home. Like this is our house. This is, we are going to show you what it is to be here in Italy. And so, I mean, there's photos that, you know, for those of you that are listening to the show, you know, I urge you to go and look at the uh, 2019 when Leclerc won, just look at photos and, and some of the video from, you know, him celebrating, like it's mind blowing to see how, like you think Zandvoort is crazy when, you know, when Max drives and, and he wins his races there, like Monza and Italians are like that all the time with Ferrari all the time. Um, you can go and take a look at uh, Leclerc and Signs, their stories on Instagram. Um, Carlos, this is really his first time experiencing this, right? And they, the car, like Carlos is in the backseat of the car and he's like, just look at this. And people <laughs> are just like mobbing the car. I mean, it's like that all the time. It's, it's a lifestyle. Goes back to the conversation earlier. It's a lifestyle. Ferrari to me is, is the ultimate Formula One lifestyle or, or ultimate race lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They, that's what they are. You say Ferrari, it literally means like passion. It means speed. It means Italian. Like that's what it is. Um, Binotto, when he created that Essere um, Ferrari, right? The saying, that hashtag they use, it's all over the cars yep. and stuff. It, it literally means like, so it, it translates to be Ferrari, but it's more like the spirit of Ferrari, right? It's the pride of Ferrari. Like, it's literally in there in, in how they speak and how they brand themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and there's a quote that I wrote down from uh, Binotto about that. And he says that, um, well, actually John Elkan, Ferrari chairman says that he believes that Essere Ferrari represents the pride of the team capable of bringing the best of Italy as well as creativity, enterprise, ingenuity, and heart. It means having the courage to compete as well as the integrity, passion, and determination. It's a mission statement that furthers Enzo Ferrari's dream. I mean, like, ah, I don't know. To me, like that, that gives me chills just thinking about it. Like, it's, it's, they're still following after this man's dream, right? Enzo's dream. Like, that is in everything. And it, it, it just, it oozes in, in the Tifosi. It oozes in the brand itself. Like, whether you're, fifth in the constructors or whether you're first, those Tifosi are going to go crazy no matter what. The the it is the ultimate home home track advantage for Ferrari to race here. Now granted, we haven't been doing well there, <laughs> but it, it it's still one of those things. It's it's intimidating uh for for another driver to come there and say like wow, these people are not cheering for me. These people do not care about me. They care about the two dudes in the red cars and that is it. Um, You know, there's like, you'll probably see very few other fans there, right? It is, it is just dominated by Ferrari and and in the country, like in the entire country, north to south, you see a Ferrari or you, you see the, the logo. It's like, you almost like 
you know, walking around the streets with with my cousins and my uncles, like, oh look, look, there's a Ferrari. Oh, oh, look that, oh look, Ferrari hat, Ferrari, you know, like the logo, like it, 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 it always in like incites a little bit of pride. Mm-hmm. You kind of get a little pep in your step when you see it. Oh, like oh look, there's a Ferrari. Like yeah, I can't afford one, but <laughs> man, awesome. I, I, like I I don't care, right? It's not about affording the car. It's about the fact that what it represents. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's one of those. It's hard to explain uh, in a tangible way, but it is what I would think. You know, any sport fan would feel if their team like wins a championship. This is like literally every time you like you see a vehicle yeah. or you see the logo or you just live your life. Like it, it, it's it's life. Yeah. Um, and Monza just embodies that. Mon- Monza is the 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 date on the calendar that gives us a, a reason to be at the top of our, our uh, passion pyramid. You know, just like a, you know, the way you're describing it, nothing looks like a Ferrari, nothing sounds like a Ferrari, No, you know, and uh, moreover, if you get close enough uh, to one or lucky enough to drive one, nothing feels like a Ferrari when, you know, it goes by and it just, uh, you know, the power that uh, you can feel coming out of that, uh, you know, the car is really quite something. I still remember the first time I drove one, right? Mm -hmm. Like the first time I got into a Ferrari, I was just like, it, it kind of like washed over me. I felt like, wow, this is a real... Like this is a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Like it, you, you, I don't. The name itself, just the name itself. You like just saying it feels. Um, there's something about the word itself. It's become so synonymous with certain things that it just the the vibes it gives you is just different, mm-hmm. right? You could say Mercedes, but like, eh, that doesn't feel <laughs> like even just saying it now. Just okay, like, and I drive one, like, <laughs> and it, like eh, yeah, it's all right. Oh, I have a Ferrari. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> like there's just a different, there's just a whole different vibe. There. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and Monza too, you know, is a really an incredible track. Uh, there, There is a video uh, up on YouTube. Mm. It's, it's on the, uh, the the Formula One official channel. And, uh, you know, I've tweeted out a couple of times over the years because it's it's nothing new. It's been up there for a long time. It's, it's maybe not a completely relevant because I think that the fastest uh, lap in Formula One has now been bettered. I think Kimi maybe mm. did it a couple of years ago at Monza. Monza itself, but it was taken back, and I think in 2003, 2004, and it stood for the longest time. It was the fastest lap in Formula One. It was set by um, Juan Pablo Montoya driving the Williams at Monza that year, mm. and it is it is awesome. I'll, I'll you know just go to YouTube and uh, just uh, search for like Juan Pablo Montoya and Monza, and it is just absolutely incredible to watch. I mean, just the sounds of the you know first of all of the car, and you know he's driving the Williams. He's not driving a uh, you know a Ferrari there but uh, you know that being said I mean <laughs> it is really quite incredible to to see and just to experience that lap but I mean if you can you know it's it's fun to watch on your phone but if you can watch it on your laptop or even on oh, your yeah. TV it's even better but it is just uh, absolutely amazing I mean the, the track itself is uh, really quite uh, phenomenal I mean it's still kind of sort of adheres to parts of the or the spirit of the old track i mean the parabolica is not the parabolica of old but i mean it really is flat out most of the way i mean it's fairly long it's uh, just over five and three quarter miles long or sorry yeah that's uh, five point uh, five and three quarters kilometers long or 3.6 miles total race distance is just under 307 kilometers or 190 just under 191 miles 53 laps and uh it's 
So, you know, it's always an exciting one to get, uh, you know, to, to watch. I was just uh, looking Pirelli are bringing their mid-range tires, the C2 hard, C3 mediums, and the C4 softs. And looking at the weather for Sunday, it's not going to be too bad. You know, looking at uh, 2 o'clock local time, it's calling to be a sunny highs of 84 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 29 degrees Celsius. And more importantly, it looks like they're forecasting rain and thunder showers, but that's not till the middle of the week. Race day and specifically uh sunday is uh, looking like it's going to be uh you know it's going to be uh you know perfect conditions let's put it that way so you, you mark i think you're going to get to get to it uh, here but I, i'm gonna i'm gonna beat you to the punch so now now this is where the where the rubber meets the road this is where i ask you guys for some predictions who's going to win this weekend because yeah. you know red bull have been kind of thro- throwing out there i don't know this is a diversionary they've been saying oh i think that uh, or we think that mercedes is going to have the edge here this weekend and i don't know if uh, you know like i say that's a bit of miss or disinformation and you know the, the sort of kind of uh you know it's a strategical thing but it uh you know based on what we saw with the i mean you know when max is on form and the car is good i mean that's an unbeatable package and we know the same thing with uh, lewis and mercedes is um you know exactly the same situation but it's going to be who's going to be the best on that day and moreover which car is going to have the slight edge over the other i don't know i mean honestly i th- this one i think is a little bit too, too close to call at this point i agree and i think the other thing that we probably haven't done enough to promote over the last course of the last couple of weeks is this is round two of the sprint qualifying format. So yes, we will yeah. see, we'll see qualifying nine, 10 hours from this moment. So for me, that means that my nine to 10 AM window in my calendar is mysteriously blocked off and I won't mm-hmm. be answering any work calls. Sorry. Yeah, it's weird how that sorry, happens. <laughs> yeah, sorry to my employer for that. Um, but we also get sprint qualifying Saturday morning, 7.30 AM Pacific time, 10.30 AM uh, Eastern standard time. So we kind of have two predictions to make here, which is obviously we have sprint qualifying on Saturday, which is worth three points to the winner on this really major mega power circuit. And then we have the Grand Prix on Sunday. So there's kind of an opportunity for redemption if you don't cash in in a meaningful way on Saturday. But I feel the same way that you do, Mark. And I know this is a bit of a cop-out from a commentator's perspective, but I could kind of go either way. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I have more confidence in Mercedes as a constructor just because I've seen so so many errors out of Sergio over the course of the last couple of weeks and really the last couple of months. Uh, but yep. ultimately, for me, it's a toss-up between Max and, and Lewis. Obviously, Max has all the momentum in the world right now. He's qualified on pole in the last two Grand Prix. He's won two races in a row. Lewis has only won one of the last nine races, which is the worst streak that he and Mercedes has had going back to 2012. It's been a long time since they've been, they've struggled like this, but that said, they're still only a couple of points out of leading the driver's title and they are still winning the constructor's title. So to me, it's a bit of a throw up. I'm going to lean into Mercedes. I can't believe that Red Bull would come out and dominate three Grand Prix in a row coming out of the summer break. I feel like this track's probably better attuned to to Mercedes. And I think one of the things we have to remember too, is that if you look at the analysis and the data from the race at Zandvoort, Mercedes was, was faster in the straights. It's just that mm-hmm. the Red Bull cars were generating so much more downforce into the corners or through the corners that they were able to build that lead that Mercedes ultimately couldn't touch. Cornering less, less important here, downforce and corners less important because it's more of a, more of a gradual oval in a lot of ways. But I think I'm going to put my money on Mercedes this weekend. Vincenzo, your country, Italy, your passion, who are you going to lean into this weekend? Uh, you know, you, you kind of took it from me there. Um, 
this track is something like what 80% or so full yep. throttle. Yep. Um I, I I'm gonna say that Mercedes is gonna take the qualifying. The sprint, they may win the sprint, and I I do think Red Bull ends up winning the race oh. itself. Um, I'm gonna say there might be like a slow pit from Mercedes. And um I think on the podium, we'll probably see Verstappen, Hamilton, and I think Carlos Sainz is going to sneak his way up there. He's going to get the first, that first Monza experience as a Ferrari driver. I think he might get a little bit of luck. I, I think Sainz is going to get up on the podium. And, uh, you know, after he came so close to winning it last year, I mean, if that race had gone even one I lap, I mean, he would have taken that uh, victory instead of uh, oh, yeah. Gasly. I mean, that's that's oh, that's without a question. You know, and uh, I mean... He was right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just uh, amazing. And he's done... I think he's done a great... Uh, Sainz done a really good job this year changing car. I mean, he's changed yep. cars how many times in the last few years? He's done a very good job learning the Ferrari, getting right in and, and succeeding. I just, I don't know. I'm going to throw signs up on the podium. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he's done, you know, out of the, I guess, the, the class of drivers of 2020, 2021 who switched teams. Carlos is the guy that I think adapted better than anyone else. And I, I think that sure. he's kind of, he's got to be my sort of unsung hero of uh, 2021. I think a lot of the things that he's done this uh, so far this year has kind of flown under the radar a little bit to, to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Mark. Are, are you going to be? Uh, are you going to be a little bit more bold? Or are you going to stick? Are you, are you going to keep sitting on the fence? Yeah, I'll go. Because the listeners will put you on blast now. They they always do. <laughs> I, I get slandered and deservedly so. You know, I, I'm going to throw Lewis on the top of the podium. I think Max will be second. I think the th I think third is a toss up. I, I don't have any confidence in Sergio right now. I've been really disappointed mm -hmm. with some of the the mental unforced errors we've seen out of him the last couple of weeks. Again, I, I get it. You know, he makes a mistake and he carves his way through the pack. I don't think you deserve credit for that because you shouldn't have been in that position to, to start with. But I like where Vincenzo was going, which was putting a Ferrari driver on the podium. And we know <laughs> that that team has had a really strong turn in the second half of the first half of the season. They're third yep. in the constructors right now. We know they're about to unlock some really significant power with that power unit with some upgrades that are coming. They're not going to be delivered for Monza, unfortunately. But I, I'm going to put Charles Leclerc on the podium with Max and Lewis. And I think the the fans, for all the reasons that Vincenzo just explained, are going to go bananas. I think they would be ecstatic with a podium, even if it's not a win. You know, you actually stole my yeah. podium, so I don't know if that's, uh, you, know, we're, you know, great minds think Ooh. alike or something. But yeah, I was going to say Lewis... Uh, top of the podium, Max, and then I was going to th throw Charles on there. You know, they, why not? I mean, the, 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 you know, when it comes to Monza, when it comes to the Italian Grand Prix, you got to show Ferrari a little bit of love. And, uh, you know, gotcha. especially uh, the, what, what Charles did a couple of years ago, that that was awesome, the way that he held off, uh, you know, the two Mercedes oh. over, you know, basically, was it 90% of that race, if not more? It was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It, and I think Lando gets back into the top five yeah. this week. He get he gets back on he gets back Good on. His, they were oddly yeah. off pace in in Holland last weekend. I mean, it was weird to see how the, those two McLarens struggled, but hopefully to see him, uh, you know, come back around. But uh, hey, uh, you know, uh, guys, before we wrap it up here, I just want to kind of finish with a kind of a comment. Uh, you know, Vincenzo, you, you mentioned off the top. You know, when you made your trip to, to Italy not so long ago, you how your cousin say, you know, you hear you got to eat pasta all the time. It reminded me of my buddy Jesus, and whatever he goes back to spain to madrid to visit uh you know family 
he measures the, the, the sorry the success of his uh, trip home by the amount of weight that he's gained by the time that he gets back to Canada. It's just like, and every Fantastic. year, like that that goal weight kind of goes back up you know like so you know it's just like you know i i, I need to gain whatever whatever it is then he spends the other 11 months of the year working it off so he can go back and then just gorge himself huh. the entire time and hey what's wrong with What's that, wrong with that? <laughs> nothing absolutely nothing well vincenzo it's been awesome having you here tonight man it's been a, a load of fun uh before we let you go just let everybody know where they can follow you online uh, website social media channels sure. and all that good stuff just just go check me out over on uh, uh, VincenzoLandino.com. Ah, Vincenzo, Vincenzo Landino on Twitter. Not not .com. Vincenzo <laughs> Landino on Twitter. I, I'm, I'm, really, you know, I'm really good at interacting there. I love to interact with people there. Um, so, yeah, just come follow me and you can get all my info right from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Enjoy the race this weekend. We really look forward to, to doing this uh, again with you sometime soon. And, uh, yeah, well, we're going to start that time to start uh, turning off the lights and uh, get out of here. It's, you know, awesome that, uh, you know, made such a, you know, uh, the opportunity to come with us. And it was so uh, late uh, for you. And, you know, I'm ready to no shut worries. it down. Thanks for having me. And, uh, again, if you want to follow us, best way is on Twitter at ScooterF1Pod. You can email us at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. Enjoy the race. We'll be back on Sunday night as we do every race weekend to recap it. And on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton and our special guest, Mr. Vincenzo Landino, thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again very, very soon. Bye for now. <laughs>